is 10 a.m., which means it's time to track the tropics. I'm WESH 2 meteorologist Eric Burris. And I'm WJCL 22 chief meteorologist Jeremy Nelson in Savannah. All right, so Jeremy tracking the tropics, and we have things to track today, huh? Yeah, it's uh, sort of newly formed or newly not really named, but we have an invest out there. So uh, we've had this area of interest, and now uh, we can put the the uh, low pressure symbol on this. It's way out in the Atlantic, so uh, no threat to U.S. coastal waters here. That's the good news, but it is something that may develop, may eventually become a named thing. Uh, Hurricane Center has been tracking this and is giving it a 30% chance of development over the next two days' time, a 50% chance of development over the next seven days' time. But, uh, Jeremy, whether it becomes tropical, subtropical, extratropical, royal tropical, I don't know, whatever it is, though, the good news is it is not a threat to the United States. And that's, I think, the main point. Yeah, it'll stay away from the East Coast, but uh, this is... uh, this is sort of a good indicator because last time we talked, we were talking all about Saharan dust. So we said if anything's going to develop, it kind of has to stay away from that dusty dry air. Well, here we go uh, into the North Atlantic. It's out of that dusty dry corridor. So if anything's going to develop maybe the next week or so, uh, it, it needs to be in this area. Yeah, no doubt about it. So computer models, now that it's an invest, have been running. Here's the very first look at them, kind of taking it on a scraggly approach off generally toward the east, and eventually a storm system of some kind, not expected to get too strong, uh, works out to the Azores. Um, in the next six hours, Jeremy will be able to get intensity model data. Not that it's a big deal, but, um, you know, we, we could see something develop out here, and if that's the next thing to be named, it would be named Dawn. Yep. So that would be the fourth name, but actually the fifth uh, storm of the season, if you count the one uh, back in January. So, uh, yeah, we've had a bit of a lull here. We don't expect a lot of activity late June into July. And uh, as we highlighted last time, and it's still out there, that tan color you see, that's the Saharan dust that uh, blows off from uh, desert areas in uh, Africa. And it cruises across that main development region of the Atlantic, helps to suppress tropical development. Uh, It's not rare. We see this uh, generally uh, one, two, maybe three times during uh, hurricane seasons. And here we go with it out there right now. So uh, pretty quiet in that main area. Uh, That's why we're watching that invest. One thing that's interesting, though, is that you kind of find these little waves wanting to bubble up. Like that's a tropical wave that is not anything organized. But you see how it's in a little ribbon without Saharan dust and it's bubbling up convection. It's about to go face first back into that Saharan dust. And those dust particles dry out the atmosphere so it'll collapse it down. But to me, Jeremy, what's interesting is, you know, we keep watching these waves coming out. And if they find an area without the dust, they pulse up in convection, and then as soon as they run in, they die out. So to me, once we slow down this aerosol injection, once we slow down this wave of Saharan dust, to me, I would be interested to see if that main development region doesn't try to wake back up. Yeah, and maybe we end up seeing that once we actually get into the peak of hurricane season. Remember, we're still uh, just uh, uh, barely over a month into the kind of the official season. So once we get into Uh, mid, late August, September, first part of October, uh, that area could be very busy. So we'll see how the dust plays out and also how um, maybe that El Nino factor that we continue to bring up. It's uh, I definitely say it's a bit of a wild card. 
Yeah, well, there's so many different pieces here, right? So we know at this point, you know, here we are, it's July 11th, right? And very clearly, you could tell on the graphic here, uh, most of the tropical activity doesn't really start to get cooking until mid-August, mid-August through September, even into October. So we're in that quieter stretch. But the water temperatures at this point, Jeremy, for the Atlantic Basin as a whole, are in record territory. And there's a real deep dive we need to go down in a few seconds with that, right? But You've got boiling hot water temperatures, but at the moment, the Saharan dust is over top. So you can't just look at one ingredient and say, it's going to be a chaotic hurricane season, right? Right now, the Saharan dust is there. But when the Saharan dust starts to fade, does El Nino kick up the wind shear a little bit? There's so many of these wild cards, and it's, I always struggle, 22 years in the weather game, like... As much as we know, and as much as we think we know, the reality is there's so much more that we just don't understand yet. Yeah, and it's, uh, as you mentioned, there's just so many ingredients. And one thing that I don't try to get too wrapped into uh, is maybe the difference of one or two degrees in water temperatures. Because in the summer, you know what? The ocean, when you talk about the Gulf, Caribbean, that main development region of the Atlantic, uh, one or two degrees there, yeah, it could make a difference, but you still have so much moisture uh, with water temperatures in the 80s. So whether it's 88 degrees, 86, right. uh, somewhere in there, every summer it's warm. But uh, obviously this year there's a little more fuel with it, but right. will the dust impact things? Will upper-level winds uh, prevent some of these storms from getting going? That's why it's uh, sort of this perfect balance yeah. And that's why uh, you don't see maybe 50 or, or so tropical systems every year, sure. even though you have that warm water there. Yeah, right. Well, and, and then the other thing, too, and, and when we look at some of these water temperatures more specifically, we'll be able to really illustrate it. But even during the day, you know, if, you, if you've got a backyard swimming pool and you kind of like I've got little kids and they're so dainty about the water temperatures. But the morning, the water temperatures three degrees cooler and through the day, those water temperatures rise. The ocean, while it may be a bit more subtle, there is still adjustments in water temperature from time of day. So uh, there's so many of those elements there that go into it. And I guess with that point, Jeremy, why don't we why don't we just chat about something interesting that's happening um, across a little closer to my neck of the woods around uh, right. South Florida? Yeah, almost a natural hot tub down there, right? It's it's kind of it's kind of wicked. So. Water temperatures, and I actually need to adjust this graphic. Uh, I built it yesterday, and it says five to six degrees above average, but the water temperatures in reality off the coast of South Florida are actually running five to seven degrees above average. Now, that's not one or two. I mean, that is that is a noticeable increase in water temperatures there. Right, and uh, bring up uh, that, are they buoys out there or just sensors that yep. measure water temperatures? And yeah. this is about, uh, you said about five five feet below the surface and during the afternoon it's peaking around maybe 95 96 degrees or so yeah so this is one weather sensor here and you can kind of see the graph is kind of small so let me let me do my best to bring it as big as i can there but uh excuse me you can see on the left the top of the graph is 97 degrees the bottom of the graph is 87 degrees so you're looking over time watch these water temperatures at jkyf1 (laughs) this buoy how the afternoon peaked couple of days ago at 95, then the afternoon peaked um, two days ago at about 95.8, and then yesterday peaked at just under 97 degrees. Um, now, a couple of things here. 
This is this is actual empirical data, and it's five feet down. Now, is it shallower water, so that would make it more susceptible to temperature changes? Sure, but but it's not just one buoy either. Like here's another one. This is DKKF1 showing a peak of just under 97 degrees, and BOBF1, Jeremy, just over 96 degrees. Yeah, and even I've been talking about how uh, near shore southeast coastline. Our water temperatures here have been lagging a little bit uh, due to that Memorial Day weekend storm. Uh, well, now what we're looking at for the southeast coast is uh, currently um, the water temperatures are starting to warm up. We have a lot of mid to upper 80s for us, uh, not to 90 degrees yet. Um, but as we uh, move forward in time, maybe we'll um, hit the hit the upper 80s. I think the near shore by Savannah is about 84, 85 degrees. Yep. Uh, tip, typically, that may peak around 88 or 89. I'm, I'm getting there. Give me two seconds. So, bup, bup, bup. yeah, so there you go. 86, 85. Yeah, near shore is like 83. So it's, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely toasty there, but, um, it, it's like 80 degrees is the magic number, Jeremy, anything over 80 degrees and you can sustain a tropical system. Yeah. So our water temperatures again have started to warm up here. Uh, not as toasty as down across the keys in South Florida. Uh, we've had a few more uh, bouts of, uh, sort of weather to mix things up. And, uh, one way to cool the ocean is, uh, obviously seasonally but also from almost the bottom up you get these upwellings to send some of the cooler air up and if if we would start to get some tropical systems closer to home or uh, something to churn the water up it would mix things up a bit and cool things down but uh, even that you give it another week 10 days uh, that warmer water starts to sort of fill back in right and and somebody on my morning facebook live had mentioned that that's kind of the normal run of things um that Nature depends on either a tropical system or a non-tropical storm system to upwell, to pull up that cooler water, to kind of level things out. Because at the end of the day, you know, you're talking about water temperatures on average. Now, we I actually had to add the color pink to this color table, Jeremy, because it just wasn't, it, it didn't go above 90. When would water temperatures go above 90? Um, but as, as a whole, you're in the lower 90s through the Keys. And obviously, you know, the coral reef system down there, that isn't good. It's not good for it. So um, at some point, there's going to be something hopefully weak um, to churn it up just a little bit and kind of pull up some of the cooler waters, you'd hope. Yeah, and um, probably not, though, down in that area for uh, maybe at least the next seven days. But I guess that could lead us into uh, some of the ensemble data, your your favorite. So uh, I'll let you you get into that. We touched on the invest in the North Atlantic, but uh, let's sort of start to look at what else may be out there. Yeah, so this is the American GFS model, all right? So this is raw data, and what you're looking at here is um, normalized anomaly pressures. So in other words, the big orange color you see on the top, that's anomalously high pressure, whereas in the central Atlantic, we're starting to watch anomalously low pressure right there. You see that purple shade showing up? That is the GFS model trying to develop Invest 94. Um, that purple shade, what is that? That's 1,002 millibars. So um, the GFS is showing that developing. The European, I would switch over and, and show the European is also showing it developing. That's 1,004, 1,003. So, uh, you know, you're not talking about anything too strong, but uh, Jeremy, both models are showing development. So I think that's one of the big reasons that the Hurricane Center has upped the development percentages. We're getting some model agreement there. Yeah, and we may see it uh, 
tropical depression, subtropical depression. They've already been mentioning that. So right. uh, again, if it's going to get named, it'd probably be like Thursday, Friday, maybe early Saturday. After right. that, it starts to go uh, a little bit farther to the north. Uh, the dusty drier south of that that may start to erode a little bit, but it's probably going to take at least, it looked like, maybe another week. Oh, for sure. And, and and I put this up just to kind of show. So to give you your situational awareness, there's Invest 94 now. Okay, so to give you an idea, that dot right there, whether you could see it or not, that's Bermuda. Obviously, there's the eastern seaboard. So it is far enough north. All of that Saharan air is down here to the south. So it's not encountering the Saharan air layer. And just as Jeremy had mentioned earlier, anything that would try to have developed would stay north of it. And, and frankly, notice through this weekend, another globule of uh, Saharan air crossing the Atlantic. And then afterward, looking into July 20th, 21st, 22nd, another wave coming off the coast of Africa. So for now, it seems like the main development region would be relatively shut off. Relatively. I mean, if you get something developing between these waves of, of Saharan dust, you could have something try to form, um, which, mind you, uh, some of the models are showing. Let me just go, give me two seconds to dial this up. I want to go toward the end of the American GFS run here, Jeremy, because I okay. saw this this morning, okay? So take a look toward the bottom of the screen, and you see that little dot in the bottom right corner? So yeah. that's the 22nd of July. So that's a Saturday morning. And that's a prime example of the GFS at least finding something in a sea of drier air, in a sea of higher pressure that may be trying to move forward. So um, the models are kind of saying, well, we may sniff something out. But generally speaking out that direction, you're talking about the Saharan dust kind of dominating things. How does the, um, I know you have this data handy, the uh the ensembles look for like the euro yeah all right so two seconds click that click that because the euro at least the ensembles and remember was it did it go to 50 or 100 now the oh you're talking one. the long range ensembles yeah that one that i don't have dialed up <laughs> um <laughs> uh, talk about it and I'll, I'll i'll try and get that worked up yeah so um we've been kind of monitoring that it did have um uh, a few of those runs were trying to get something maybe headed towards uh, whether it was Cuba, maybe into the Caribbean or uh, somewhere in there. But remember, the ensemble runs the, the data several different times, a few different versions of it. And um, we try to kind of look to see if there's a consensus with yeah. a lot of these or they, they show sort of a little path of some sort of tropical development. Obviously, it would have that thing there in the North Atlantic we've been highlighting, but also uh, it was trying to um, maybe show a little something else. Yeah, so there you go. So that's that's kind of the, the idea. And you've got kind of the main development region, but you also have like the eastern seaboard showing up, at least in the current version of that, Jeremy. So um, does that end up, you know, does that end up playing out? That's looking at the potential of a tropical system within the next, um, you know, within the next, what is this? 504 to 672. So that's basically looking all the way through July. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I, and I do think that late July into August, um, we get that dusty dry air to settle down. We'll have to start watching some of those waves leaving Africa because yeah. um, some of the longer range models are starting to hint at maybe some sort of activity out in the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. um, 
I do look at one model that goes out like 768 hours. So you just obviously take that with a grain of salt. But right. it is starting to sort of uptick the activity late July uh, into August, maybe in that main development region or right. trying to run something uh, across the Atlantic. So I think uh, sort of a low right now in that main area, things staying to the north of that. And then we'll have to watch uh, late July. Yeah, no doubt about it. Things are starting to heat up, like it or not. So um, this is getting more and more into timing where um, the models are showing stuff. Um, the, the, you know, there's not significant development, but this kind of pattern, Jeremy, would, would lend more toward those homegrown systems, at least at the moment, kind of systems that bubble up off the coastline, whether it be the Gulf Coast, the, um, the Atlantic Coast, or, or in this case, the North Atlantic away from all of that Saharan dust. Yeah, and there's not a lot of dust right now in the Gulf of Mexico. We haven't really seen anything try to get going in there. We had right. uh, Arlene earlier in the year. Um, that part of the pattern may try to come back here uh, once we get maybe another, I think it was like 10 days down the road or, yeah. or so. Uh, we'll have to see if there's any type of little system that may want to get going in the Gulf of Mexico. But right. at least in the short term, the Gulf looks pretty quiet yep. and also down into the Caribbean. So the good news is uh, those systems are staying away from the warmest water in the basin right now. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're looking at here on this graphic, Jeremy, this is the kind of, this is the European ensemble of tropical development in general. Okay. And so where we're watching for tropical development is in the North Atlantic, at least over the, you know, the next couple of weeks, that's through the 21st of July. So the next, the next week and a half or so. So this is kind of going in exactly what we had discussed. Um, Lorenzo's asking, have you discussed about the wave near the Caribbean? And again, that's that's in a sea of dry air and Saharan dust. So at this point in time, most of the activity favored should be to the north of that. But Jeremy, going into our long-range discussion and our long-range forecast, we knew that this year was going to really want to favor fish storms. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, one thing that we... Um, really pointed out was if you took the Gulf, the Caribbean, and the Atlantic, we thought the bulk of the activity, obviously it's a bigger body of water, but uh, we were really focused on uh, maybe some of these systems in just the open water of the Atlantic, not threatening uh, the Gulf Coast, Florida, or the East Coast of the U.S. There's really just a few defined parts of the pattern that um, we really have to watch out, maybe that eastern part of the, yeah. the Gulf parts of Florida, Southeast or mid-Atlantic coastline. Um, those are coming up, but again, if we have this dusty dry air, that's a limiting factor. So uh, maybe we escape July and then we would really have to probably start watching more like late August into the uh, first uh, kind of half of September. Right, and and that lines up with our, our hurricane season forecast, um, tracking all of those lows. And so if this version of the recycle doesn't develop anything, at least it gives us another opportunity to track where the systems may try to peak and where they try to move, Jeremy, to give right. us one last look. Um, because, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll never forget this as long as I live. Um, looking back at, we were in the midst of tracking Hurricane Ian down here in Central Florida, we're getting hit with a hurricane. And one of uh, my my WESH2 viewers sent me a tweet that I had put out months earlier. And it was 
the recycle that ended up being Ian. And it was, it was a tweet basically showing it and saying the next version of this, we're really going to have to watch out. And it's just like, well, I'm in the middle of hurricane coverage. That was it. But if it gives us one more look at things before it were to want to try and develop tropically and be an, an impactor, you know, that gives us one opportunity to really search for things. Yeah, and um, we'll look for any little clue coming up here over probably the next two to two and a half weeks. Uh, and even if it's just, uh, oh, there was a cluster of thunderstorms off the southeast coast, there was a little area of low pressure because we just went through that part of the pattern that we turned kind of the uh, east coast or, or Carolina area. And I sent you some maps that, again, there was a low pressure area over yep. eastern North Carolina. There was yep. one uh, offshore a little bit. So these lows were there. They were weak. You know what? When they come back the next cycle, it's something we will watch. They could be weak once again, uh, but they are at least coming back sort of on cycle. So the timing of these that we've highlighted uh, should still be pretty close, I think, uh, moving forward. Yeah, 100%. So we'll watch. We'll track that. Um, Now, somebody's asking, Vanessa's talking about uh, the Colorado State University forecast and was curious if there's been any discussion as to why they upped their forecast numbers, Jeremy. Okay, so remember, we uh, issue our forecast March the 1st. We went 14 to 18 named storms. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. I still think that's a pretty good number. Um, I don't know. We really have to ramp up the hurricane activity. And again, it, we're so early in the season that you right. don't want to be like, oh, wow, there hasn't been a hurricane yet, so our number's too high. But um, we'll see how that plays out. But Colorado State, what was their first... Uh, forecast was it 13 names it was i think 13 yeah okay so then they updated updated it to i believe 15 yep. correct yep and then they're on their third update to their forecast which just came out in the last week it's now up to 18 name storms right so they're they're discussing the abnormally hot sea surface temperatures, the record sea surface temperatures. They're discussing the later onset of El Nino. And, you know, at the end of the day, we are all using different methodology in putting together our hurricane forecast. Um, But Colorado State's kind of watching the trends, seeing how we're already sitting with an above average number of named storms. And so they've upped it to that. When we put our forecast out in March, Jeremy, March 1st, there was there was only the discussion of El Nino is going to kick in and it's going to make a kibosh of a season. There were zero named storms that we were aware of because the Hurricane Center had not yet upped their number. So we kind of went out on a limb a little bit and everybody right. else has kind of dialed into that thinking. I, I also think our numbers are good, but like you said, getting into the peak of hurricane season, we are going to need to start seeing some activity. Right. I'm not cheering on any hurricanes. I know you're not as well. Um, So, you know what, if we end up with like three or four hurricanes and one major hurricane and it's below those numbers, fine. You know what? Great. I do think, though, um, if we get a name storm this week, we also see sort of down the road, late July into August, an uptick in activity. Um, There's definitely going to be some name storms. Now, hopefully they're just out, like you said, fish storms in the Atlantic. Don't bother anyone. But uh, I definitely think we're still going to be adding up the, uh, the number of names this season. Then it's yeah. just a question of we get rid of the dusty, dry air. We have these warm water temperatures out there. Uh, are we finally going to start to see maybe in peak season a little more explosion in activity in terms of some stronger systems? Right. And, but here we are sitting today on the 11th of, uh, of July. We've had four named storms. 
through today, the average is 1.8. So we're already running above average. But again, we're not into that window where we really see much in the way of tropical development. In terms of named storm days, we've had 10 and a half days with a named storm, double what is average. And the real metric that we use, Jeremy, the ACE score, we're sitting at nine. We're not quite double the 30-year average, but we're we're still well above. So we've got the the basis through this stretch of, a, of an above average season. It's just a matter of where do we go from here. Right. And uh, I don't know how much uh, ACE score we'll be adding up this week if we do see something named. Yeah. Maybe it's named for like a couple days, something not like that. Much. Uh, yeah, not much. Maybe we get that number. Maybe that'll end up being around 10 or so right. uh, if we see something. And then uh, we'll, we'll start watching late in the in July. Uh, I sent you something earlier today. I don't have it in front of me right now, but I believe it was uh, uh, a longer range computer model that was looking ahead to, I believe it was August, September, and October. Yep, I'll get it and, put in. Give me a second. Keep talking. Okay, and it did have uh, sort of uh, not, I don't know if I'd say ominous, but definitely piqued our interest of kind of where it was showing potential for tropical activity and this is just uh, i believe it was like uh what kind of like uh um yeah so i'll let you explain that a little bit there right so the overall idea is like the moisture around during this is august september october okay so when you're looking at the moisture around on this product the the idea is look for where it's showing up and what we end up having is some recurvatures in the open atlantic right and and here i'll just this is going to be a little sloppy, but I'm just going to enlarge this, all right? And again, it's, it, you know, look, we're not on TV. This is social media, so we can be a little, a little rougher around the edges. Hold on. All right. So what we're looking at there, right? You've got the open Atlantic, and you see how it kind of forks up to the north a little bit? So that would lead us to believe that, you know, we're talking about some recurvature storms. But if you look around the Caribbean, if you look around the Gulf, if you look around the Eastern Seaboard, what you end up seeing are those blues, those higher moisture marks around the Caribbean, around Florida, and kind of the Carolinas slash the Mid-Atlantic. So this does line up a bit with our long-range forecast. Now, I do see some blues around Mexico slash South Texas, um, so that that's something interesting of note. And even the Northeast into New England, that's also something interesting of note. But Jeremy, those were areas that we at least had said, maybe not an above average opportunity for landfalling systems, but definitely an area of interest that we had discussed back in March. Right. So it does, I would say, lines up with our hotspots for the U.S. coast pretty well. Um, we had those uh, Carolinas highlighted. We had uh, parts of Florida highlighted. Look at where at least this model, and again, um, doesn't mean it's going to be right, but look where it has maybe the lowest chance or the lowest precip, and that's on the northern part of the Gulf Coast. So mm -hmm. you get upper Texas coast, maybe towards um, Louisiana, Mississippi, that area. Yeah, It's showing uh, very little precip or maybe below average, and uh, that was an area that we did not have as part of our hotspots. Oh, 100%. So there's the hotspots. This was issued March the 1st, months and months and months and months ago. Um, but it's interesting, you know, there being a subtle uptick in the Northeast and a subtle uptick around Texas because, Jeremy, in addition to our hotspots, we did say that there was other areas of interest. They may not be hotspots, but we did also show, interestingly enough, South Texas and kind of the Northeastern Corridor as other areas of interest. 
Yeah, that South Texas area. Um, there were a couple things that were uh, down in that Southern Gulf area there, uh, closer to Mexico. And then also, um, even just look at that January system we had, that was off from sort of that Northeast coast a little ways. Yeah. Um, we'll see how that tracks because that part of the pattern again uh, would be coming back. So interesting data, you know, and that's what's so great. And and start asking your questions, y'all, because we're getting to the point where we're we need to start answering some questions. But, you know, there's a lot of long-range ensembling. There's a lot of great data. We're now starting to close out the quieter stretch of the hurricane season, Jeremy. And we're trying, I think, as a meteorological brain trust, right? Everybody's trying to get an idea of where is the stuff really going to fly. And um, the data at least is looking like our hotspots should be watching very closely, which would be your area and my area, you know, not directly our areas, but around our right. areas. So we have to watch things closely getting into that August, September timeframe when our recycles cycle once again. Yeah. And some of these uh, things that we've highlighted come back during the, uh, like the absolute peak of the season, which right. is around about September 10th or so. Yeah. Um, so we'll see kind of that late August window through the first half of September, potentially, um, could be kind of busy, which yeah. I mean, a lot of people are like, well, it should be busy. It's the absolute peak of the season, but um, it could, it definitely could be interesting. Well, you, that's about the time that El Nino should be kicking up. So one could argue, well, sure, it's the peak of the season, but if we increase the wind shear in the basin, then that should subdue things a little bit. Yeah. And we'll see how it plays out. Maybe there is activity, but maybe it does uh, kind of cut down on the intensity, which would... Uh, not be a bad thing. Yeah. So Vanessa's asking, is the Saharan layer sticking around or will it start to fade soon? Good question. Uh, yeah, we talked about that. We think probably at least another seven to 10 days that it's yeah. sort of uh, across that main development region. So if there's going to be activity, maybe north of it, maybe there's a mini break in the dust and something um, tries to form on that southern tier. Yeah, there's just, there's another wave. And then if you look beyond this, that's the 19th of July, the 20th of July, around the 20th, there's another wave. So what ends up happening every year, you get, it's June or July, you get these thrusts of, of dry air, but what ends up happening always, and, and it's like, it puts this false sense of security in people's minds because you get such dry air coming off the Sahara, but then the, the Madden-Julian oscillation kicks around and you start thrusting that monsoonal flow off of Africa. And all of a sudden you're not throwing sand out you're throwing tropical waves out and then you start to open things up for business in a big way and you know i'd have to go back and look jeremy to see when in late june exactly we started that wave train that was so odd right because mm -hmm. theoretically 51 days after that we should start to see another wave train in theory start back up again yeah so i think that would be um maybe like 10, 41, that first uh, half of August. And okay. you start to look kind of at some of these longer range models and they are trying to hint at maybe a few lows coming off the uh, West Coast of Africa. Again, uh, it's a long ways out. So um, we just kind of try to look at some of the trends, maybe not right. the specifics of location, intensity, right. stuff like that. And even with these longer range models, I feel like they have a really hard time with anything homegrown. Yeah. Look at how quickly something like Arlene just sort of popped up in there. So uh, we're not discounting anything that uh, could be sort of homegrown, close right. in. 
um, to maybe Florida or the Southeast Coast the back half of this month, but just not not any good indicators there this second. Right. The homegrown systems are always difficult because they, they, they just kind of get, it's like a, a, the weather patterns are all moving and the models do a great job. But then when one gets stuck, that's when the models are like, oh, oh, there's something. Oh, and then, and then you get a, a quick little thing. And I think personally, you know, a lot of people, Jeremy, have been asking me about those Florida pieces and the Carolina pieces of our long range cycling pattern. I think that once we get into late July and we get into those Florida timelines, if something tropical is to develop, it's going to be an old front that bubbles something up in the Gulf real quick or bubbles something up off of the East Coast. Right. And it's more of those homegrown type deals. Yeah. It is definitely something we'll watch. Um, if you don't have any other questions, maybe we'll take one more look at the invest and then we can uh, wrap things up for today. But I think our uh, discussions here moving forward will probably have uh, a little more to track here as we get into late July, especially into August. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah, so uh, a couple of people asking about is the Madden-Julian oscillation coming in phase soon? At the moment, it doesn't look like it is. Um, right. But but that makes sense. You know, we're not looking at really ramping up activity, I don't think, until probably late August into September. Yeah, I think right now it favors the Eastern Pacific. We've yeah. seen uh, a lot of activity there. And something that just kind of caught my eye and um, was that the GFS is trying to get a tropical system very close to Hawaii. I feel like every single year models try to get a system close or hitting Hawaii. It is so sort of unusual to get anything to actually hit Hawaii. It's very difficult. You have such a small Island chain and um, just uh, Tropical activity uh, can get close to Hawaii, but it's uh, usually pretty rare for uh, a hit out there. All right, so I'm trying to. Sh- I'm, I'm I'm getting it. I'm 99% pulled up. Give me two seconds. That I think it was like 180 hour or 200 hour out in the uh, in the Pacific. So uh, we're not just talking Atlantic Basin here. I guess uh, the GFS. Uh, I I would. I, Looked at that a little bit earlier. I think it was on the 6Z run had had something out there. Yeah, so that right there. There, yep. That's Wednesday the nineteenth. The what? That's that's Wednesday the nineteenth. Okay. And look at that a nine ninety six low on the north side. But uh, one reason I bring this up is because obviously that the Pacific this past winter was crazy active. Yeah. Um. I did. Um, I've been to Hawaii a couple of different times, and I was out there in January, and we had perfect weather when we were there. But about a week or so later, I mean, it was just like crazy heavy rains yeah. out there. Yeah. And um, so it's always sort of interesting for the method we use to kind of look back at different parts of the pattern. Yeah. So maybe maybe there's something out there and definitely if the gfs would continue to show a low out there then i'd I'd kind of backtrack and start to investigate i was gonna say have you looked back to see if it lines up i haven't because um (laughs) obviously you and i could probably look at every little piece uh different big systems around the globe and and go back to the cycle and find it so without causing complete brain drain here yeah we need to we uh, need to GFS, keep the battery reserves going <laughs> yeah yeah we know we kind of know what's ahead of us here our our busy time of year and uh, it's been nice to have a bit of a lull in the tropics right now yeah no doubt so let's enjoy it but let's know that it's going to be coming to an end and with that let's put this to an end because i've got to do the new newscast and at some point i know the executive producer is going to be like hey burris are you showing into our work today <laughs> 
and my lawn will not mow itself. There it is. There it is. All right. So with that, hey, thank you all for hanging out with us. We do this every Tuesday at 10 a.m. asterisk as long as our schedules allow it. Um, at some point, I'm going to have to chat with you to figure out because I'm going on a cruise at the end of the uh, month. So maybe okay. maybe you just do it solo, Jeremy. Well, or maybe your cruise goes into one of those storms and you can give us some some video. Hopefully not. It's a Royal Caribbean. So I wonder like if Starlink is a thing, how if I could do I could I do this from a cruise ship? My wife would kill me. I'm not doing it from a cruise ship. <laughs> well, you know what you could do? You could see if they're if they have any type of uh, meteorologist on board that uh, does the weather for them and they could maybe be a guest. You it's could, Royal Caribbean. Their their meteorologist just left the company. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, well, at any rate, we'll figure that out. But we do this every day at uh, every Tuesday at 10 more often as is needed. And remember, if you missed it, um, you can always check in. We are on all of the sources where you get your favorite podcasts. So don't forget we're on Spotify. We're on Apple podcasts, iHeartRadio and Amazon. So you can always check in and get the latest and uh, assuming not one of us on a cruise, we should be able to do this pretty, pretty regularly as needed, Jeremy. All right. All right. We're wrapping things up here. But again, thank you for everyone for joining us. I'm WJCL 22 Chief Meteorologist Jeremy Nelson in Savannah. And I'm WESH 2 Meteorologist Eric Burris in sunny Central Florida. Have a great one. We'll see you next week, y'all. See ya.